Welcome to Trailblazing with Corporate Price, where we present new and fresh perspectives that challenge how you approach change to solve some of the biggest challenges faced by business and government leaders today. Here's our host, Andy Corbett, to introduce the final episode in our series on organisational health. Hello everyone, I'm Andy Corbett, uh, the Managing Director of Corbett Price, and I just want to thank you again for joining us for our podcast series on organisational health and the seven dimensions of wellness. Today is our last episode in the series, and uh, and we'll, what we'll be doing today is covering the seventh dimension of organisational health, which is all about learning and development. And over the past few years, uh, they've really reset employee mindsets in many ways with, with workers really questioning their careers, their life purpose, what makes them happy and determining the right balance between home and work life. And on the employer side, talent and skills shortages, employee retention and hybrid working models have caused a significant shift in the focus of human resources and the role of learning and development in, inf in influencing these factors and, of course, these, uh, these outcomes as well. According to the 2023 LinkedIn Workplace Learning Report, 22% of employees of all ages stated that they wanted their organization support to balance their work and personal life. And in the age bracket of between 35 to 49, this actually increases to 26%. The same report rated employee well-being as the fourth priority program area. And if you think about this from the bigger picture, that is what we've all been talking about throughout this series, organizational health, if the learning and development opportunities do not meet what employees want or need, an organization's financial, performance, occupational and relational dimensions can be heavily impacted. Research from the Journal of Occupational and Environment Medicine states that employees who have participated in wellness programs regained a total of 10.3 hours in productivity. Harvard University said employers saw a return on investment of $3.27 for each dollar spent on wellness programs, just indicating wellness programs to be fundamental in this day and age. So how do we approach learning and development opportunities differently to meet employees' expectations and improve their overall well-being? Well, joining us for this discussion is David Powell. David is an author, founder, and life skills mentor of The Golden Thread. David is the recipient of the Visioneers 2022 Global Award in recognition of his work to benefit humanity. He's been empowering individuals and teams for three decades in hundreds of organizations across 30 countries and five continents to improve their lives and business performance. David's lifelong research into history, religion, Gnostic wisdom and psychology, as well as his scientific background, enabled him to form his online life journey skills program, which aims to help people thrive in life by addressing and inspiring the whole person, body, mind, emotions, and deeper inner being. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce David 
David, thank you very much for joining us today on this episode of the podcast. You're welcome, Andy. My privilege to help where I can. Excellent. Good stuff. All right, then, David. So look, we'll get straight into it, shall we? So um, first question I've got, uh, in the 30 years that you've been working with organizations, how have you seen employees' needs change in terms of what they want and need from professional development programs that their employer provides? Andy, that, that is a crucial question. I suggest we wind the clock back a bit. 260 years ago, 1760, the Industrial Revolution began, and we saw for the first time mass employment in factories and then later in offices. And the practice, which employees like us have been going through since then, everybody went to work five days a week, or in my father's case, five and a half days a week, show up at nine, go home at five, or show up at eight, go home at four. But here's the point. All the employees were working under the directions of their supervisors and managers. There just was no concept of the possibility of working from home. It just wasn't part of the picture. Then all of a sudden, in early 2020, we had the COVID lockdowns. And it this is the point, it completely changed the workplace paradigm. And it changed the relationship dynamic between the employer and the employee, because we all had to work from home. Now, fortunately, we had these relatively new communication platforms like Zoom and Microsoft Teams, and they came into their own and made this transition of working from home so much easier. But here's the point. Many people have realized that they actually thrive a lot better working from home, better work-life balance, and they're less stressed, and they have more autonomy in their environment and their day-to-day -day life. They're organizing it. And that is very, very attractive to most people. It's like once you've tried it, you don't want to lose it. And a lot of managers will tell you the amazing thing, the assumption was, you know, people couldn't work on their own. The amazing thing, it all worked. So we've got this situation now post-COVID that a lot of people, they don't want to go back to a workplace five days a week simply because the lockdowns are finished. At least they want a hybrid working environment, sometimes working from home and sometimes going to the office a few days a week. And it, so I think the point is, Andy, it's not going back to how it was before. And here's the other point that since COVID has been swept through, a lot of employees, probably almost all employees, seem much more focused on their well-being and how they're feeling. And that includes wanting fulfilling and meaningful work, like a healthy work culture. And they want energized managers and leaders who empower them with passion, purpose and vision. So, so it's like they've stood back working from home and the consciousness has shifted and they know much more about what they want. So to answer your question about what has changed, all of the research is indicating employees want employers to take their staff well-being seriously and provide programs that support their overall well-being as well as enhancing productivity. And I think the point is, 
employees who get this and who act are the ones who are going to attract and retain the best people and they're going to future proof their organization so no matter how turbulent it gets out there they've got the core of the good people and i think the other thing about you asking about what's changed if you're going to make this a reality and have an a-grade hybrid work culture and an a-grade team leaders management and staff are all going to need what i would call interpersonal upskilling because it's it's a lot more challenging to to work across this hybrid organization so i would suggest to your listeners everybody's going to need self-empowerment skills we they beat the drum about well-being well-being comes from the inside out it's not something you can give someone a sticker and so self-empowerment skills will be very important i would suggest relationship skills are also going to be important because it's a lot harder to maintain relationships in turbulent times on a hybrid environment and of course team skills exactly the same team skills are crucial together everyone achieves more and again we've got to use these team skills across the hybrid environment and yes life skills because so much now has changed so you asked me about what's changed i would say that is the major set of changes thanks david that's that's very interesting actually i mean I, from, from the work that I'm doing and, and maybe from the work that you're that you've experienced as well and, and the and some of the conversations that you have with those organizations that you work with, have you seen a a trend to of, of going back to kind of pre-COVID habits and, and wanting everyone to be coming back into the office? And, and if you have yeah, what do you think is is driving that, and what what can what can be done? It's it's very interesting. That, I don't want to be cheeky. There are some organisations that in the past thrived on what you and I might call command and control, and, and they uh, they like command and control, and, and so some organisations have tried to encourage people to go back into the workplace. But what I found, and, and I do talk to a lot of people around the world, there is an incredible stubborn resistance. People are happy to do the hybrid. There are a few people who insist on working from home. There are people, but most people, they want this hybrid. And, and well, I'll give you an example. A, a, a woman said to me, look, David, we, the, the firm has started to allocate mentors. And she said, some of the worst command and control managers are now supposed to be our life skills mentors. So I think, Andy, that's the point we were talking about. Organizations that truly get this and handle the change of paradigms so that the people work hybrid and feel fulfilled, they will succeed. If it, to fight it and try and get everybody back in the office, I think is pushing it uphill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, I think it's really a, it's a, it's a, it's a big uh, challenge that a lot of organizations are working through as, uh, as we, as we speak mm. really. Um, so, and, and in terms of the skills that you just mentioned before, you know, the relationship skills, the team skills and so forth, why, why are they so important? And, and, and what is the danger for organizations if those particular needs aren't met yeah 
Could you elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah, please? it's a good question. Well, I mean, we're, we're touching on it already, Andy. I think the point is you can't reverse a paradigm shift. The game has changed. Once this sounds cheeky. Once employees have tasted freedom, as they did, as they had to, then you can't go back. So the point that's there is this urgent need. I would say we now have to empower all the employees to feel this deep feeling of well-being that they're looking for, because everybody's involved in this new way of operating. And you ask, what's the danger? Look, if organizations don't provide this upskilling, then the people I've talked to, and I've seen it happening, is the best people are going to leave seeking better support and learning opportunities. They're not going to hang around. And quite frankly, if an organization doesn't adapt, then they simply won't attract or retain the A-grade people. I know it sounds a bit blunt, but you ask my experience that that's what I've been observing. And and I guess attrition is on the top of every everyone's lips at the moment, isn't it? Top of top of mind, sorry, for, for executives around the globe. It seems to be uh, that one of the sort of key items that's keeping them up at night. Um, and um, yeah, so it's something to be taken very seriously. And it's, it's very interesting that you that you say that some of these sort of uh, actions can really help address uh, the attrition challenge. Yes, I mean, at the height of it, you know, a lot of managers I was working with were saying, you know, people were asking for these telephone number salaries or wages, you know, it got a bit out of hand. But even though we're past the worst of the pandemic now, and it's inverted commas, calmed down a bit, there's still this deep need for, you know, people say all over the place, a sense of well-being, and that's not easy um, to achieve without the sort of skills enhancement that certainly I never got at school or, and I, I haven't met many people who had, did. So we're, we're after something that we all want and because it's not freely available, I would say the organizations that win will be those that, that provide that upskilling. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and another sort of key challenge, I guess, from some of the organizations that I work with as well is this idea of burnout and fatigue amongst the workforce. Uh, I don't know if you're experiencing the same, but do you think there, what, what can organizations do to, to address the burnout and fatigue challenge? Well, I think that, I, I think that burnout and fatigue are, for want of a better term, effects, they're symptoms. So the question then becomes, well, what's the root cause? And like if we most of us have spent our entire life working in the old system where the supervisor and the manager told us all what to do, this idea that we've got to own the space, own our own life, own our own work environment, unless you've got the skills to balance, figure out how to do it, what to do, you can stress yourself out. So I think if we don't address this, then those effects of burnout and stress and, and worry will will remain. Flip it around. If we do address these things, then we can all adapt and arguably work better and more productively than we've ever worked before, as well as feeling better with our well-being. So, you know, there's some terrific upsides in this paradigm shift that COVID has triggered. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and what about sense of purpose? 
and sort of helping people to bridge their sort of personal personal sense of purpose with the purpose of the organization what what kind of trends and experiences have you got in, in that particular area that again is a good one I, I mean in my own 30 years working out there around the world uh, my whatever organization i go in anywhere in the world i always say first question what's the game and by that i mean what's the vision what's the success vision for the organization and, and then what are the strategies to achieve that vision so you know and we can talk about that it, I found it's better if you've got a graphical vision when you're communicating, the picture's always worth a thousand words. You know, you can remember people's faces, you can't remember their names so well. So if you've got a graphical vision of what the success of the company looks like, the organization looks like on the horizon, and then you use graphical plans to come back like rope bridges across a river, and they're on the wall, then when, when everybody shows up to work, you can see these strategies like rope bridges leading into the future. So everybody knows what they're gonna be doing and what their colleagues and buddies in other teams are gonna be doing. Now, here's the point. Because people have sort of woken up, I don't know what the right word, a consciousness shift, paradigm shift, woken up. If an organization can not only uh, make sure that the vision for the organization and the graphical plans are there, if the organization can help each employee elicit their own vision of success for their life, and that could be over 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years, you know, who knows where they want to live, where they want to travel, what they want to do. And the organization helps the employee get a graphical vision of their success. And then using those same graphical planning tools, get a set of I call them rope bridges back from their life vision. So on their wall at home, they've got what I call a game plan for their life, which of course they can discuss with their partner and their family. So now we've got two games. We've got the vision and the strategies of the organization, and we've got the vision and the strategies for the employee. If an organization can do that, then you've basically motivated the person twice. They know the game they're playing at work, the contribution they're making and what all those around them are making. And they also understand how what they're doing fits into their own life journey. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to build on that, you know, there's, there's this idea of what people see on the walls and also what people see in the halls. And, you know, going back to the pre-K with what they, what they see in the halls, probably now what they see in the virtual environment. What, what's the kind of role of, of of the leadership in terms of establishing the, the the right culture in place to really sort of um cement that sense of purpose and motivation for for employees yeah good question look i often go back to the origin of a word the the word leadership derives from an ancient anglo-saxon verb lidan which means to show the way so when all said and done the job of the leader is to show the way. As Henry Kissinger once said, the job of the leader is to take the people from where they are to where they've never been before. So a leader has to go, okay, 
team. This is where we've got to go. And, and in my terms, it's the vision out there in the future. And here are the graphical plans like road bridges. So the leader can say, this is where we're all heading. The, you, you use the word the culture. Uh, I would suggest the way to look at culture is how we're going to play this game. How are we going to play the game called let's, uh, let's work as a team and achieve the vision? And to the two keys to any successful empowering culture, I think, are trust and assertion. Neither of these necessarily come immediately. They're all skills that can be taught. So it's not going to be possible to work with different types of people unless you know how to trust them. You know, where are the trust deposits being made? Where are the trust withdrawals? And you've also got to have some tools and skills around assertion, not aggression, assertion, because the, you know, the pushy people have no trouble in speaking up. But the quieter people on the team have much higher acuity. They see the detail that the pushy people may miss. And we have to have systems and approaches to allow those quieter people to speak up. Does that make sense? So you ask about leadership. I would say the two jobs of the leader is to create the, the journey to the vision and also give the people the skills so they can trust and assert comfortably. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned systems and processes. What what kind of examples have you got of those? Well, you know, when I'm running workshops, I ask people to list the systems. We don't get much training on systems in life, but everything's a system. You know, the laundry basket's a system, the printer's a system, the computer's a system. And when you ask people to list the systems that support their work environment, it, it can sometimes be quite a long list. So, you know, if I look around my office, there's the desk, the chair, the drawers, the, the laptop, the screen, the lights. Um, and, and then behind it, there's the computer databases. There can be all sorts of warehouse, you know, depending on where you work, warehousing or trucks, all sorts of things. All of these are systematized. And, and then what I say to people, OK, now we've got a list of systems. Mark the systems that are working really well with a T, meaning they're tight, efficient, and mark the systems that are not working so well with an L, meaning they're loose and sloppy. And you can imagine a, a group of people will produce a list of about 50 <laughs> systems. There's probably five T's and 45 L's. Um, and people laugh. Yeah. And then you go, well, who's accountable for that system, that loose one? And, and they go, well, we all are. And I'll say something like, look, I've looked on your employee list. There's nobody with the name we all are. So I get them to list the mission critical systems that are loose. You know, maybe there's three, four or five. And then we go, OK, which let's, let's take them one at a time. Which mission critical loose sloppy system are we going to fix and who is accountable? So does that make sense that the, the mm. systems underpin mm. how we perform and play the game? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Thanks, David. So if I may, I know, and I know we've touched on this uh, already in, in, in some of the previous uh, uh, answers that, uh, that you've given. Um, but I guess, can we just, if we just zoom in a bit more on the learning and development programs side sure. of things. So we, we, there are, there's several reports. We've got, um, you know, reports from Employment Hero, there's Deloitte, there's LinkedIn. 
They all point to the need for learning and development programs to include how to improve employee well-being and, of course, mental health. Uh, so this is a, a big challenge, of course, for learning and development managers themselves. H how do they, how should they tackle this? And, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, in terms of what should be redesigned or what should be rethought or, or in fact, what should be reinvested in? Yeah, th that is another good question. You know, my heart goes out to L&D people in HR as well as talent acquisition because all of a sudden <laughs> we're, we're, everybody's in the spotlight. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Look, let's chunk it down. I talked about self-relationships and teams. Let's look at self. As I said, this sense of well-being that everybody's seeking it is, to me, built internally within the self, it comes from inside out. So I would suggest L&D people have got to organize skills enhancement so that each employee can develop what I would call a strong sense of self. Learn and know who they are, what makes them tick, how to develop inner strength, and how to develop more resilience and persistence. Because we can all look out the window and see this 21st century is getting pretty turbulent, and I don't think it's gonna calm down anytime soon. So, so these are skills that they, people are gonna need, as, as you alluded to, we talked about, they're going to need self-motivation skills. So they need, as we said, not only a sense of purpose and plans at work, but they also need a greater sense of definition of purpose and plans for their life. And then we hear a lot about this mindfulness. I would suggest that the learning and development people introduce basic meditation skills. I talk about the parrot that keeps chattering on, you know, in your ear. What about this? What about that? It's not fair. She should have done this. He couldn't have done that. So basic meditation is simply designed to calm the chattering parrot down. It, 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 you know, the ego control. And then if people start to calm the mind down, that quiet voice of intuition can come in. Incredibly powerful, but often very quiet. And you get this flow of creativity. And if you can calm the mind down, problem solving also becomes easier. So those are the sort of self skills I would encourage every L&D manager to introduce. So the person knows how to strengthen inside, become self-motivated and calm down the chattering mind that usually runs seven by 24. In terms then of relationships, working with other people, what, what I would suggest is uh, give people tools so that they can look at other people, the, who they work with or who they're interfacing with, read them. In other words, understand how to read what makes other people tick. And then having that understanding and empathy and they are skills and they can be learned that not everybody's like you or I, then being able to reach out and build rapport. I won't go into the technologies of, of you know, the various levels of rapport, but the relationships then is reading other people, understanding mm. with empathy, and then building bridges of rapport that are so strong 
they'll work over a hybrid work environment and they'll work under stress. Now, the third thing I talked about was team skills. Like if they're gonna have to work in a high performance team, elicit cooperation and work successfully with other people to achieve this common goal, then as we said, it, you've got to go, I would urge every L&D person to go beyond the mission statement to the vision um, because it's so much more powerful to go beyond whatever documentation you've got in terms of strategies to build these graphical rope bridges so people can see the game plan leading into the future. You raise this business about culture, trust and assertion, their skills as well. And here's the point. I would also suggest they look at developing what I call contribution agreements, customer focus contribution agreements, both customers outside the organization, as well as people they serve or relate with inside the organization. And a, a, a contribution agreement goes far beyond a job description because it articulates how the employee will contribute to the organization's success vision and how the organization will contribute to the employee's capabilities so we can help people to make sure they're able to perform to whatever gold medal standards are needed so they've got the skills and abilities that the employee's got the chance to perform to gold medal standards and as you alluded to there's a supportive culture and uh, tight good systems and then each employee wants to perform. They've got the keys to their personal motivation. So I think, Andy, that's what I'm saying. L&D have now got to empower, make sure everybody's empowered, the leaders, the managers, and the staff. And, and because we're working this hybrid, I would encourage them to consider offering mentoring and coaching and online skills enhancement training. We're finding that is very popular so that people can access the skills enhancement they need anywhere and at any time. And you know, they, they need to watch a module once or 10 times, nobody's gonna know. So my summary advice to every L&D manager would be to analyze the, where you find yourself, analyze the exposures, get an action plan and kick into action. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I just want to um, talk about a few things that you mentioned there. So yeah, meditation, I think that's great. I really, I know I'm a strong believer in that. I think it's really helpful to calm the mind down and really establish that flow of creativity. There are a lot of, there also are a lot of people who are skeptical about meditation and sort of um, dismissive of it. I mean, how, what's your sort of advice to L&D managers to help articulate the, the value and importance of, uh, of meditation? It's funny you should say that. I, I, I was facilitating a group of CEOs yesterday and um, this came up. One of the guys, he's in the trucking industry, you know, he's an Aussie bloke. And he goes, oh, you know, my wife's always on about this. And then he said, I'll tell you a story, mate. He said, uh, I went to a, a breathing meditation class with my wife. And he said, I started doing it. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, there was this unbelievable stillness in my mind. He said, it was quite incredible. He said, it's never happened before. And then he said, a huge wave of emotion came up. 
Uh, and so we talked about this two parts of this. He was very impressed with the silence that stopping the mind achieved for him. And then he realized there was stuff he was suppressing that could come out and purge. So it's what gifts and skills have you got that you can access better when you can stop your chattering parrot mind, which we all have. So mm -hmm. look, Andy, I mean, everybody has their own path, but it, it, it and, and you know, there are thousands of apps out there with meditation. Um, it, so, so I, all I would say to an mm. LMD person is look, just suggest to people they consider it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's right. And, and, and so, you know, people listening can, you know, access these things, as you said, there's lots of apps out there, you know, it can go beyond just what's available, obviously from the LMD manager, there's, there's all sorts of things you can, uh, you can do in the home, obviously. And um, I think haven't I think Microsoft Teams have recently introduced something, haven't they? Sort of related to sorry, Microsoft as the organisation uh, as part of its Teams products introduced something where it uh, encourages people to take a bit of a mindfulness break between Teams. Have you come across that? I haven't seen anything from Microsoft, but the point I would make you are somebody. I think there's tens of thousands. There might even be hundreds of thousands of apps out there. That the point is. Yeah. The point is, the mind is very powerful. Most people's minds run seven by 24. You know, we wake up in the middle of the night, there's a work problem running. You cannot access these deep intuitive gifts, these deep creative gifts, these deep problem solving gifts, unless you learn to shut the mind up. That sounds a bit crass, but whether you call it mindfulness or meditation, the purpose is to shut the mind up for a while. And then the gifts that we all have, and we need the whole team with their gifts performing. That's, that's the bottom line of whether you call it mindfulness or meditation. It's to tap the deeper powers that we've all got that we don't normally get to use. Yeah. Do you, do you yourself follow a, a meditation routine or regime and do you have any tips around to, for the busy person to sort of help manage that and when it went to an appropriate time of day or is it really just in case by case really whatever works for the individual well obviously you know around over the decades i've taught a lot of teams and management teams to meditate the um what i always say to people what i do uh, personally over I think I'll be meditating 50 years now. I only use two approaches. Sometimes I, I just shut, close my eyes and just watch my breathing. And I might add a, a mantra, you know, so hum or whatever. But what I found very powerful is, uh, I think it was originally called Alpha Dynamics. You basically close your eyes and go down through the colors of the rainbow. So if I'm leading the meditation, I go, everybody calm down, close your eyes. Now let the color red immerse and wash through your body and, and then orange and then yellow and then green and then blue purple and violet so i lead them down through the colors you can do it yourself don't need me saying it but i always warn people most of us when we start this carry what i call a long-term sleep deficit so you know you might have got 15 senior managers sitting in front of you and i warn them and of course once we get down to violet 
at least half of them probably fallen asleep and they were probably in a deeper sleep than they've been in for months. Um, but the point of it is you then allow about 20 minutes. I usually say to people, look, once you're down below mm -hmm. violet, just drift through the color blue. There's something very powerful about the color blue. You'll find your breathing is very shallow and everything calms down. And then 20 minutes later, you know, it's not uh, absolutely 20 minutes, just come back slowly up through the colors from violet back up to red and then open your eyes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm actually going to try that um, after this, uh, after this uh, recording. So thanks, David. Appreciate that. <laughs> I must tell you one story. I, I, no, I won't mention the telephone company, but I was asked a, a long time ago now, I had a senior uh, management team from a telephone company and um, they asked if they could use this getting down to the blue. And so I, I introduced this idea that they would envisage a, a door which they would open and there would be a very wise being, their choice, um, the other side. And then we had this series of questions that we want they, they wanted to ask their wise being. And uh, it's, I mean, it sounds all a bit woo-woo, but the point was at the end of it, when they came back up through the colors and quietly talked, the whole answers from their wise beings was nothing to do with the technology. It was all about empowering their staff. I always remember it just incredible. Mm. So the, the point mm. is here, you go down below the chattering mind, there are sources of wisdom and power that we can all learn to access. And if L and D can give the people the tools, you've got a long way towards the 18. Yeah. Excellent. And and just just one more point on that on that um, initial question, just and 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 the answer that you provided. You mentioned contribution agreements, which I really I really like that concept. And then a lot of my audience there um, in, in within public sector, they re requires a lot of the problems that they're trying to fix. Really requires a kind of whole of government collaborative approach across multiple teams across multiple agencies. Is is, yeah. is the contribution agreement? Obviously, it's very helpful within within the the agency that they're a part of but obviously i think it sounds helpful as well to to go beyond that and and apply it to the ecosystem that they operate within have you have you seen some good examples of, of that within um with, within your experience with different organizations yes uh, i'll put in a cheap plug for my book life journey skills which you could delete that part if you don't want it but the point is there's a chapter on contribution <laughs> agreements um but yeah. the structure this is the important point andy the structure is you first of all list for each person who are their customers now i use the word customer because you know we're we're giving service we may be supplying products we certainly got to develop a relationship so to answer your question, it's not only like, so the first customer you have is your manager. You may have got members of your team who are also customers of yours, but in the wider government world, there are arguably, arguably going to be customers out in other departments, you know, on, on into the, the wider economy. Then when you've got your customers listed or, or groups of customers, the next question is, well, what are the parameters by which each customer or group of customers are assessing value. And value can be assessed across the quality of the product you deliver, if you're delivering products, the quality of the service you're delivering, if you're delivering service, and most of us are, the quality of the relationship established, as well as if there's any price or cost 
So, so you're getting people to look at different customers, inverted commas customers, and clearly not everybody is assessing your performance or the employee's performance on the same set of criteria, value contribution. And then, of course, the third question is, well, what's the gold medal standard? So if you say, Andy, I'll get back to you by five o'clock this afternoon and I call you on Friday morning, that is not a gold medal performance. That's a lead medal. You know, there's no silver or bronze in business. It's gold or lead. So does that make sense? So it's a long winded way of saying the contribution agreement can can map out for any employee or manager who they're in service to uh, from the government out into the wider community. And then it's the same thing. Are they able to perform? Do they have the chance to perform? Do they want to perform? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Thanks, David. That's great. So another question that I've got is this idea of lifelong journey of learning. And you hear that phrase, um, creating a lifelong journey of learning quite often. How can employees incorporate these new learning approaches that we've spoken about uh, throughout the employee life cycle, life cycle or employee journey? Yeah, look, this is another important question. I, I often say to people, if you think back before the Industrial Revolution, the agricultural age, um, if you weren't lucky enough to be born up in the hill, in the castle, or the palace with the rich guys, and you didn't want to live with mum and dad or grandma or grandpa in a field in a mud hut, then if you wanted to get ahead in the game of business, you had to join a craft or a guild. And it didn't matter whether you're going to be a potter, stonemason, carpenter. The system was always the same. So you would start, let's say you're going to be a potter. Your mum or dad would take you along to the potter and you're about eight years old and you become what they called an apprentice. So if you were the apprentice, you've got to get up at 4 a.m., fire up the kilns, get the glazes and clay ready. And here's the point, as the potters showed up to work, they'd show you how different clays, different glazes, different heights in the kiln produce different effects. So you would be basically learning the basic skills of being a potter. You never had much to do with the master potter. And then one day the master potter, he or she would say, Sana, young lady, see that oblong thing? That's the door. You're now out the pottery and you would become what they called a journeyman. So the, the, the potter, goes from pottery to pottery across Europe, across Asia, different clays, different kilns, different glazes. Carpenter goes from site to site. Stonemason goes to cathedral or mosque site. The point of the metaphor is we're all on a journey to mastery. And a master, he or she, has made so many mistakes, learned so much, they can consistently and elegantly produce a high-performance result. So. That's the point I would suggest, Andy, that lifelong learning is a is a journey to mastery. So I would suggest L&D people consider empowering all the employees and offering learning opportunities at every stage of their career, because then you can attract and, and create and retain a grade staff. Does that make sense? And as we've said, if you can link these skills that people need within the organization game plan with here's the thing with the skills that they might need in their life game plan even if they're not immediately useful in the organization's workplace you've got a double motivator because you're saying to 
each person, look, life's a journey. And we in this organization not only will upskill you for our organization, but we're going to help upskill you for your life game, your life purpose. And so whether they're working in the workplace or working from home, they've got these huge motivational hooks. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Absolutely. So, you see, so, so you're building this, what, what would we call it? A strong work-life balance. And then, as I said before, if they're in a hybrid work environment, and I guess we all are these days, and it's not going to change, you've got to have hybrid learning. So as I said before, online learning anywhere, anytime, any device, the beauty of it, it's self-paced and it's self-interest. If one person wants to learn about self-skills, another person wants to learn about relationship skills, that's fine. So I would say if an organization, if HR can put that together, then they're basically, they've got this, what I would call a 21st century skill set. They can have very attractive induction and onboarding. I mean, how cool would this be? You know, if you join us, George or Mary, we will give you all these skills for the work environment and we'll give you another set of skills for your life journey. When we get to performance reviews, it becomes so much easier because it's framed up in competencies. And then when they're in the organization, there are internal mobility opportunities. Like everybody can, oh yeah, wow, if I got that skill, I could do that. So I guess I would say, Andy, that the, this 21st century is stormy. It's not going to get any calmer anytime soon. So I'm repeating myself now. I don't think this is optional. I would encourage every HR person. It's going to be the survival of the adapters and mm. organizations that get it together and act now will be strong. However, however stormy it gets. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, and, you know, I, I, you mentioned the induction and the onboarding part, I guess, from your experience, do you think that's probably, I mean, all aspects of the journey are extremely important to get right. And we must, you know, incorporate these different, these new learning approaches at, at each of those stages. But I'm, I, I don't know, I, my assumption is that maybe the first one, the induction, the onboarding is, is absolutely crucial to get off to the best start. Is that right? From your perspective? Well, think about it. I mean, you know, like we'd all like uh, a team of A-grade people. I don't know, what is it? Three and a half percent unemployment or whatever. There's a, a whole raft of jobs out there available. Yes, people are using LinkedIn and yes, people are using sophisticated AI to, to hook into, you know, the key words and that. But if you are looking to attract and onboard A-grade people, if you're operating with a fabulously defined organizational game plan and you can say we will support your life game plan mm. how many other organizations are doing that the answer is probably very few so simply by talking to the person about their life journey themselves as well as working with you in your organization you're way way ahead of all those other organizations that are trying to attract this a-grade candidate does that make sense it does it does that's great david i um i really appreciate the the answers you provided today and and all of your uh, your insights i could talk to you about this all day um but unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> we've got uh, we, we've got time for today so 
look, thank you very much for for um, for joining us and and providing your perspective on this really important dimension of organisational health, the relational dimension of organisational health. Um, and just to let the listeners know, David's book, uh, Life Journey Skills, is uh, is available for free on Kindle or to purchase in hardcover from Amazon. And if you want to find out more about the Life Journey Skills program, go to www.thegoldenthread.com. That's www.thegoldenthread.com. And in, in my parting, look, all your listeners, we're all counting on it each other we're very lucky to live in australia so let's all make the best australia we can into this weird strange turbulent future yeah absolutely good stuff all right well look once again thank you very much david appreciate you coming on the uh, on, on the podcast and uh we'll uh, we'll speak again soon thanks andy you've got this bye now that now concludes our first series on organizational health we hope you enjoyed listening to all our trailblazers and found their insights refreshing and valuable. If you've missed any of our previous episodes or would like to download the full transcripts, please go to our website, which is www.corbettsprice.com.au. That's www.corbettsprice.com.au. Once again, thank you for listening.